All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, good day and welcome to today's College Sports Communicators Teachable Tuesday live webinar. We're pleased to offer this session today on working with basketball statistics, stat rules, and producing accurate stats. Thanks for joining us today for this important session as we discuss ways to assist CSC members in all areas of working with basketball statistics and rules. Our presenters today are leaders in college and pro basketball statistics and are here to offer their thoughts and expertise as well as take your questions. We welcome questions at any time. If you can please use the Q&A function of this Zoom. You can also use the chat function to comment on anything, but for any questions, please make sure those are put in the Q&A. Uh, my name is Courtney Day. I'm the Associate Director for Communications and Digital Strategy here at DePaul University. I also serve as our Men's Basketball SID and will be today's webinar moderator. As a reminder, we are recording this webinar and later on the CSC website and YouTube page, you can watch an on-demand session. We will also offer it on numerous podcast channels. Uh, we've got lots to cover, so we'll go ahead and get started. Um, I'll introduce today's panelists to you all, and then we will go ahead and get started. Um, first panelist today we have is Sarah Boysenault, uh, Assistant Commissioner for Communications and Digital Media Strategy at the Northeast Conference. Sarah was an SID for 14 years at the University of Hartford and has served as the Connecticut Sun statistician since 2018, as well as freelancing a variety of sports. Uh, Sarah's fresh off a trip to Paris, where she was a part of the stat crew for the Notre Dame and South Carolina women's game, which was obviously a very historic moment for the game of basketball. Uh, we also have Kevin Smith here today with us, uh, Director of Athletics Communications at the College of Worcester. Uh, entering his ninth season, Kevin works with the winningest NCAA Division III men's team of the 2000s. And then our final panelist today is Terry Smith, who's a statistic guru in his 24th year working with USC, sixth year with UCLA football, and fifth year with LMU basketball. He also does statistical work all around the LA area with the Rams, uh, Los Angeles Clippers, Los Angeles Lakers, LA Sparks, as well as the G League teams. He sets over 150 sporting events a year and wanted to share his fun fact as that he hasn't missed a USC home football game since August 2000. Uh, so we will go ahead and get started. Um, we have a couple things on our end, um, but please be, be sure if you have any questions at any point to drop those in the Q&A section here and we will make sure to get to those as it fits. We're going to go ahead and kind of walk through a game um, and start with kind of the prep that would go into uh, statistics before that starts. So for each of you, uh, do you want to kind of walk us through maybe what your setup is at the various places that you've done stats? So how many people you have doing stats, where the SID sits, where the stat crew sits, anything like that. Sarah, do you want to get us started? Uh, sure. So um, when I was at the University of Hartford, typically we were just a two-man shop. Um, once in a while, if we had an extra student to utilize, we would, um, you know, use that person as someone to track subs or, you know, go to replay um, or check the book if there were any questions. So typically we just had an inputter and a caller. Um, we would try to set up on the scorers table, usually we were next to the visitors bench, um, as close to the scorebook as possible. Um, I've found throughout freelancing, um, I end up at a lot of universities in Connecticut and New England. Um, they utilize pretty much the same setup, but it's always helpful, I found, when there is that additional third person just to serve as an extra set of eyes. Um, you know, if there's something that needs to be written down, they're in a situation where they can have the pen and paper right in front of them and just kind of keep track of things. And it's always great to have that extra set of eyes for stats. So I found, you know, a three-person crew is ideal, but, you know, you can get it done with a, a two-person crew. And that's usually how, you know, I roll. Um, 
when I'm doing stats at various places. Uh, Kevin, what about you guys? Sure. Well, first off, happy end of CSC Member Appreciation Week to everyone. We use a crew of three, so Matt Anderson, our Assistant Director of Athletic Communication, or myself, are always the inputter, and then we use two students for a small Division three school. So we have a caller and a writer. So when you get hired to our crew, we usually have you start off as the writer. So that way you learn the ins and outs and some of the special situations by hearing how the caller calls. And then when the caller graduates, you slide up into that caller spot and we recruit a new writer. What's also key for us is we always try to have somebody from the basketball side of things, a student that lives within 20 minutes of our college because you're always going to have games over winter break that you're going to have to staff as well. So for us, we go opposite the scores table so we don't have the coaches in our way. We have a press row and that way we're able to better service our radio guy who's right next to us as well. Awesome. Terry, what about the different setups you've been part of? Uh, we also use a three-person crew where possible. Um, uh, obviously, you can get it done with two. Um, and we also set up on the visitor side. We'd love to be away from the bench, uh, but at the same time, it's actually good to see the same uh, viewpoint as the referees. Um, so it's actually good to, to be on that side as well, because um, sometimes you're trying to decipher what's going on. We like to be close to the book as well. Um, we have our SID usually sit next to us when we're doing stats, so that actually helps them as well with their um, their recaps and also um, if we can get any clarifications on things, they'll usually, if we don't have a third, they'll be our third person running over the, the book asking what's going on or um, trying to uh, run, track things down or help us with any replays just in case we need to look at something. Um, so it's, uh, we, but, you know, three, three is ideal um, and never possible. I'm an SID who also sits next to our score crew and it can be very helpful sometimes. Um, Sarah, would you go ahead and get us started and maybe talk about what um, kind of conversations you have with whoever else you're scoring with, especially if it's not uh, the same person from game to game before you guys actually start scoring the game? Sure. Um, I've found, you know, as a freelancer, I'm always working with different people. Sometimes I'm in the um, calling role, other times I'm in the inputting role. But, you know, the, when I first started freelancing, I've noticed everyone has a different style for calling and there's no necessarily right or wrong way. But there are times where, you know, the caller will refer to the teams by their color names. So red versus white. Um, a lot of times you find with students, especially, um, you know, they'll call the home team or their school, us, and then the visiting team, them. Um, I've also had instances where, you know, callers are saying off without, I guess, indicating a team. Um, they'll say like offensive rebound, defensive rebound. So I think it's just important. Like I said, I don't think there's really any right or wrong way, um, especially with an experienced caller. It's kind of difficult to break those habits, but just having a conversation before the game and just saying, hey, how do you, you know, even if you're the caller, how would you prefer me to, to, to relay this information to you? Like, would you rather me say home versus away, us, them? Um, just making sure you're both on the same page. So when the game, when the ball goes up, there's no confusion. You're, you don't have like that mind block, like, oh, who's us, who's them? Um, 
So I think that's really, really important beforehand. And also communicating with whoever's doing the scorebook. And also if there is a, a visiting SID that travels, um, I think that's really important just to give them a heads up like, hey, if there's an issue, um, if there's any confusion, if we miss something, we might be coming down to you just to, to ask you a question or to get clarification on something. Absolutely. Um, Terry, would you kind of walk us through maybe um, for those of us who are constantly training new people or have uh, students maybe that are learning, um, what tips or advice you have for people who are teaching others on how to do it? Yeah, I, it's very important to, like Kevin said, it's always good if you have a third person there, especially a, a student, um, to be able to, um, you know, walk them through that process slowly. Um, we usually have people uh, shadow us. Um, they'll either sit behind us or sit next to us, and uh, or they'll be that third person who helps us track subs, um, just to kind of listen um, to the calling, um, you know, watch how, how the inputting is done. Um, you know, obviously, there's still people who use stack crew, and is not so much watching. You don't have to worry about focusing on that, but you're now listening for uh, key codes. Uh, we used to call it in, in, the, in, the, in that, um, you know, uh, J, you know, R, uh, or DR. You know, we used to always call with, with, the, with the letters because it also gets that in, in your mind. And, and whenever I think about, uh, especially watching replays, if I write something down, I'll write it in that old stat crew code because um, it, remind, it reminds me of how, how, I, how it used to be scored. Uh, but shadowing is the number one thing. Um, you know, the, the first thing is to, to make sure – I always try to remind them that, um, you know, being a fan of the game is great, but, you know, when you're doing this, you have to kind of take that away because um, you can't watch it to, and be in awe. You have to make sure you're always watching for that next thing. You know, if someone misses a, you know, a dunk on, in the men's game or, 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 you know, someone runs like a fast break three and you're getting all excited, but did they make it? Did they miss it? Was there an assist before that? Um, you know, who got the rebound? You know, you have to remember to, to – Focus is the number one thing and, and remind them to keep their eye on the ball, watch the ball movement, um, pay attention to the referees. Um, uh, but just, you know, slowly walking through the process, um, having them shadow um, when they feel comfortable, maybe uh, probably have them input first um, if they can get that down because they can listen again, listening to the caller. Um, the caller, you know, generally is, is the person that, that um, everyone's attention is on because they're making the determination of what's going on. Um, and, and they're trying to, um, you know, follow the rule book, make sure that they're scoring things properly. So that is usually a, the, the, the position you want people to be most experienced at. So maybe, you know, sub, the sub, trapping subs, writing, then moving over to inputting, um, and then once they feel comfortable um, calling a game and, and then understanding that and having someone experience with them, if ever possible, trying to put two new people together, um, you know, if you can avoid it. So that way they're helping each other learn through that process. Yeah, that's awesome. I know we typically kind of have our, our kids learn uh, inputting first too. Um, we'll continue going through some of the things here, but just a reminder for anyone who tuned in late, if you have any questions specifically that you'd like our panelists to address today, to use that Q&A function on there and drop those in and we'll get to those um, here as time allows. Uh, Kevin, do you want to speak a little bit on the SID side, what kind of preparation you do in reaching out to maybe the visiting team or anything like that before the game starts? Sure, thanks. Uh, what we kind of do is we try to send everything out on Monday for a midweek game when we're playing on the road. And if it's a weekend game, we wait till Thursday since our conference typically plays Wednesday, Saturday. We have three rosters we maintain in today's day and age. The first is your NCAA roster because that pulls into NLS. The second is our stat crew roster because we still have 
couple schools in our area that use that. And then we're a Presto client. So we also have to make sure we have our Presto roster up to date and then sidearm would be the same thing. Remember, some of the programs have a limit as to how many players can be in there at a time. For Stat Crew, it's 20. And remember, it's really 19 because team has to be one of the 20. And we make sure we send out a word roster. We always include the Stat Crew roster in case they're using it. And in the bottom of our word roster, we have some double ups for the scorebook since we dress more than 15 typically. And most schools do this day. After you've played a couple of weeks, you're going to know who hasn't been in yet, who's healthy. So just be courteous and put those kind of towards the bottom of your word roster. And we have traveling radio, so we always give the other school a heads up that there's going to be traveling radio and they reach out separately with what they need. And lastly, make sure after the game, you always send the game file, even if it's from the NSCM because that helps everybody know that the game's good and you aren't resolving flags or anything. Very good point. Um, I We are gonna kind of go into some scoring specifics and um, how to make certain decisions and certain calls and things like that. I believe we have a presentation with some examples that we'll go through, um, but Terry, do you wanna go ahead and maybe get us started with uh, some specific tips? Um, you know, one of the, the, the major uh, areas of, uh, of disagreement, well, I would say just uh, uh, of uh, subjectivity is probably like assists. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I find it uh, the best thing to do is try to be as consistent as possible. Um, have a um, have something in your mind as to how you want to see it. Um, you know, I, I work in the NBA a lot, and, and um, they, they have a defined, more defined rule as to how to award an assist. Um, it's still not clear because there's still obviously adjustments you can make, or rather ex exceptions to the rule. But um, I try to go with the idea of, uh, you know, um, immediate reaction toward the basket or immediate action toward the basket, um, and then no more than three dribbles um, unless you have some type of fast break scenario where obviously um, someone's going down the court. Uh, but just that immediate reaction toward the basket, um, the idea that that player is, is immediately going and, and trying to, uh, to attempt a shot um that that's generally where i like to to keep it um you know there are again exceptions to everything but um you know if, if there's too many dribbles if, if the player is backing away from the basket moving away from the basket when they first receive the pass you know, I, I i tend to stay off that if they hold the ball for you know more than about a second a second and a half um two two seconds is definitely the limit um then i usually like to wave it off there too it, just because it, at, at that point it's, it's not direct um and, and there's some hesitation Can you please put up the slides on dead ball and team rebounds? We'll start with the dead ball one. Or well, thank you. So dead balls and team rebounds are an area where we see a lot that's mixed up in basketball statting. They're two very distinct things. A team rebound counts towards your team's rebounding total and average, and a dead ball rebound does not. So we have on our screen here how to score those in the different stat applications. We'll start with dead ball rebound for NLS. You click tap dead ball and then the team name up at the top of your screen and stat crew and presto, it's RB for offensive dead ball, DRB for defensive dead ball. And if your rebounds don't add up to the number of missed shots at the end of the game, make sure you're putting in your dead ball offensive rebounds after missed free throws. 
And at the end of a period, if you have a shot. And in DAC stats, you can type E for offensive dead ball, D for defensive. And then if you're in two-click mode, rebound, offense, defense, and then team dead ball. Some of the most common dead ball rebound situations, miss free throw with another free throw attempt coming up. Great thing about NLS is it automatically puts these in the software for you so you don't have to do anything. Offensive dead ball is a missed shot and the ball dead due to the expiration of time. This would be the end of the period or a shot clock before any conditions met for an individual and team rebound. Remember, if it's a shot clock violation, you also need to charge a team turnover after the offensive dead ball rebound. And if the defensive team gets the rebound, and the officials let you play on, then you would just put in an individual defensive rebound and ignore the shot clock violation in that situation. Defensive dead ball would be a missed free throw attempt and the attempt to not hit the rim. That would be on the final free throw attempt. Offensive or defensive dead ball, this could be both ways, a foul on the floor after a shot before any individual gets possession, goes to the team that gets possession, same thing for who gets possession after the last free throw for a technical foul that's missed. And if you have any pre-tip-off technical foul free throws, the team that wins the opening tip-off following the final missed free throw gets the dead ball team rebound. I would suggest entering it as your team's dead ball rebound and then correcting it to the other team after the first time out if the opponent gets the tip-off. Now to go on to the next slide is team rebound in nls you would click your team name at the top and nothing else and stack crew or presto this is rm for offensive and drm for defensive and in dax stats this is t for offensive r for defensive and if you're in the two click mode you would click rebound offensive or rebound defensive and then click team and NLS, very important that you do not click or tap dead ball before the team name. We're seeing way too many schools do this as this is not right. So it would mark that as a dead ball rebound instead of a team rebound. For a team rebound, number one is the ball goes out of bounds before individual player control. And it's not an instance that we covered on the last slide. There are a couple more in the NCAA stat manual that we put kind of the most common ones, you'll see a dead ball rebound and a more detailed explanation is in section three, article one, the C part of the NCAA basketball stat manual. Awesome. Uh, Sarah or Terry, do you guys have anything else to add on dead balls and team rebounds before we move on? I was just going to say one thing, because um, um, that was great. Thank you, Kevin. Um, it's really helpful, actually, even to have the uh, the, the the examples of, of what the key combinations are. Um, one thing I always want to remind people, too, in any of these things, you can always fix them, too. So even if you actually, you know, enter in, you go back and think about it again. Was that dead bar rebound? Use these um, these examples to apply those um, those uh, those metrics. Also, uh, the one thing I know happens very often is too often, um, especially on the fouls, People are sometimes crediting a rebound to the person who shoots the free throws. Um, try, try, to, try to avoid that. Make sure you're seeing clear possession. And also look at the, the officials. They're going to signal whether it's a loose ball foul um, or whether um, it's a personal foul. If they, if they call loose ball, then that's the assumption that the foul happened while the ball was still in the air or, or as you mentioned, the, the conditions aren't met for individual team rebound or for individual rebound. So just um, uh, always be careful about those because those are um, – 
that's probably where it happens the most is on the on the on the fouls, especially towards the end of the game. Yeah, I was going to chime in on um, what Terry hit on about the loose ball uh, fouls and, you know, just making sure that an individual rebound isn't credited, credited in those circumstances. Awesome. Um, we'll go ahead and move on to our next slide here on flopping. Um, those are rules that we know have changed quite a bit and they're very distinctly different in the men's versus women's game. Uh, so Kevin, I don't know if you want to get us started there and then we can give uh, Terry and Sarah a chance as well. The women's is new this year. The men's, if you've been around basketball for a couple of years, it's been around for a couple of years now. So on the men's side, there is no warning they'll single flop kind of they'll go like this and they won't necessarily stop play right away to do it. So that is a technical foul charge to an individual player. And if you're using NLS, you would select class B as the foul type. It is not a team foul and it's only one free throw. And if it's missed, it would be a dead ball rebound to the team that gets possession. And in women, you get one team warning issued. The officials will likely stop play and just come over to the book and tell the book to mark it down as a warning. So you'll have to watch out for that. After that, it's a technical foul charge to the bench. And on the women's side, it is a team foul. So you would select bench technical and NLS after selecting bench as the player. So it counts it as a team foul. And if you're using one of the Type entry programs like Stat Crew and Presto, you'll need to make sure you also type in a personal foul on the team, as well as the technical foul for it to show up towards the team foul count. You'll get two free throws and it'll be a dead ball to the team that gets possession if the final free throw is missed. And again, on the women's side, that's new this year and it's very distinctly different than the men, which is why we created this slide with some of the key differences. Sarah, do you have anything else to add, especially maybe on the women's side that you've seen? Um, I think it's just important to make sure um, that you're paying attention to the officials in these circumstances, because a lot of times you might miss that warning or, you know, miss the actual call too. So just, you know, being um, mindful of the of the officials during the game and watching for those hand signals and for when they do come to the book to issue that warning. Cause I know it's very easy to miss, especially when you're in the flow of the game and you know, you're inputting and trying to keep up with everything. Awesome. I think we're done with the slide there, but Terry, I wanted to ask you if there was uh, any other kind of tough play situations uh, that you've come across and maybe advice you could give for the group. Um, you know, and um, so in college, you, you have, you, when it comes to like things like steals, um, a lot of times um, you'll have players or you'll have um, players being awarded the steal because they recover the ball. Um, definitely look for deflections. Um, you always want to make sure you get the person who's deflecting the ball if possible. Um, you know, if it's not a clear deflection and, and it's not obvious that that's what caused the, the turnover, then you can award the person who picks up the ball. But as much as possible, try to award that to the person who's, who's creating that, that deflection initially. Um, and you can also technically award a, um, a ball out of bounds. If, if, that, if that defender uh, deflects the ball in a way that it, it then bounces off the, um, the offensive player, that is a steal, um, and you can't award that um, to that player. Question come in about the comment function on the flops and other technical fouls in NLS. If you go up at the top, 
under one of the menus at the top, there's a new comment function for this year, and we've been asked to note when there's a flop that the technical is a flop or when there's another different type of foul, if it's like a flagrant one or a flagrant two and what the calling was by the officials. Very good point there, Kevin. Um, I have a question kind of just genuinely for the group. Um, again, if anyone else on here has one, please use that Q&A feature. Um, but I know one thing I've been a little nervous about this year that we luckily haven't occurred yet, but the NCAA's uh, new rules with the numbers, and you can now go from any number from zero to 99. Um, how do you guys kind of go about deciphering um, what the ref is signaling and making sure that those get input correctly? I'll let you know when we see it. I honestly don't think it's going to be You'll see it kind of funnel in as schools cycle through uniform changes. So I don't think you're going to see a huge number of schools do it right away. But over time, you'll see new numbers come into play. So we'll just have to adapt as we go with how the official single numbers. We already see that with how they give fouls anyways, because in high school games, they're only supposed to give the numbers on one hand and do the first digit followed by the second digit, whereas college, they're supposed to hold up both numbers, one on each hand, and we still see the one hand single being used by some officials at college that do both. My, my, my only advice is try to stay as much in, 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 the, uh, in the game as possible. You generally will see um, where, the, where the, the general area where the foul is called. You'll certainly see the players there, there, there possible you know unfortunately there you do have times where 24 will foul 24 and you know now you don't know if they're calling an offense or a defensive foul especially if there's two officials disagreeing on the block of the charge um so you guys just pay attention as much as possible uh, but um you know one thing we always do is we always check with the book um i always just look for the pa announcer i just make sure that all three of those things are happening um because that that pa announcer generally um the, the official score will usually correct them if they make a mistake there. So if we're hearing the same things and, and um, we're seeing the same things, then we're good. And it, it doesn't it doesn't hurt. You know, obviously we check at the end of quarters for women at the half for men's and the end of the game. So you know, it's it's always good to make sure you're always checking that book, always working with the uh, with the uh, official score. Um, and if you if you think you might be off, just doesn't hurt to ask, especially um, when fouls are involved, because you know you get to that that uh, situation where someone's about to foul out because we had the wrong assignment, which happens in uh, <laughs> more often than people think. Um, with my experience with the WNBA too, obviously that is an issue where, you know, um, it's hard to decipher whether, um, with because they use any uniform numbers. So what I like to do is also, you know, like what Terry said is listening to the PA um, person, but also, I try to read lips of the officials. Like if you can't hear the officials, I think that helps at least, you know, whether it's a single number, a double number, it kind of, it definitely is helpful if you're able to do that. Um, and just not being afraid to ask questions, ask the scorebook if you miss something, if there's confusion, um, everyone's, you know, there for a reason. So just utilizing all the tools around you. Also, add to make sure who's ever doing your book, especially if it's a student, writes down the foul times because there's a spot for that in the book. And I know not everybody does that. That helps tremendously with having to go back and sort out if you have to check with the book on who and when the fouls were. Uh, I'll say for the good of the group, too, on fouls uh, to make sure to input 
whoever the ref calls, even if we all think the foul was on a different person. Uh, we had that happen last week and uh, had to go with it. And then they were able to check it later on our end um, with replay, thankfully. But um, I guess this is this will kind of be for everyone. But Sarah, I'll have you start us off. But maybe troubleshooting anything in the moment, if things go wrong, if you get behind, how do you how do you go about fixing that, staying on pace, anything like that? I think we've all had those like freeze panic moments. <laughs> Yeah, um, we've definitely all been there probably more times than we'd like to admit. But I think just the important thing is keeping up with the pace of play as much as possible. Um, don't get bogged down with, you know, the previous play. If you missed a steal, if you missed, you know, a jersey number, um, it's much easier to just change a player as opposed to having to go in and re-input like an entire series. So my advice would just be try to stay with the flow of play as much as possible. In this day and age, we're all very fortunate to, you know, have most of our games being streamed. A lot of our universities use replay. So there are ways where we can go back and make edits after the fact. Um, I think it's just most important to get that play in, keep up with everything, because the last thing you want to do is fall behind. So even if that means, like I said, picking a random jersey number, um, you know, for a steal, a rebound, a shot, um, it's easier to to fix that than it is to have to go in and add two or three plays after the fact. LS makes it nice where you can flag specific plays. So if you know you have to change a number, make sure you go and click on that flag right away so you can see it right away. And also just if you get behind on turnovers, especially just put in a turnover and maybe put like a type of turnover you don't use very often and then flag it. So, you know, you have to go back and check that at halftime or when you have a chance after the game. I think yeah, I'm a, I'm a big thing. We, 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 oh, I was going to say, we, we, we rely on replay a lot as well. Oh, oh no, yeah, we rely on, on replay a lot as well. So um, the, 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 the focus and goal is to stay live. Um, you know, like she said, you have to have a very, uh, you have to have a very short, short memory when it comes to those plays that you messed up because you, you got to move on. Um, it's not a big deal. You're going you're gonna to fix it later. Um, but if you get bogged down, now, you, like she said, you were three or four plays behind. That becomes a, a more increasing problem. So, um uh, it's staying live. I'm always focus on staying live. If you have a third person, let them go back and try to figure out what what might have been missed or what you need to add in there. Uh, but it, it can all be solved. Uh, the, the, the coaches do video. Um, if someone has a has a recording of that of that game, it's not going to be uh, missed forever. So you can always it can always be fixed. And there's a comment too. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good, Sarah. I was going to say uh, we had a comment kind of about subs, so I was going to kind of dive us yeah. in that direction. Well, um, and kind of how you guys track subs, uh, Sarah, as a caller or an inputter um, that maybe works on a lot of different crews and going about that. I mean, the good thing about NLS is that even if a player is not, if you don't have them in your five in your rotation, you can, you have the option to get award a stat to that player. So that's very, very helpful. Um, what I like to do as an inputter and as a caller after every timeout whether it's a 30 second timeout, a full timeout, um, I will waive the subs. And I find that very, very helpful. Um, it leaves le less guessing, less room for error. So as the players come out of the timeout, they break the huddle, waive the subs, 
select all 10 players that are on the court. That'll definitely help with accuracy. Um, it's just a really, really good habit to get into. Awesome. I can't stress that enough after timeouts in between quarters at the start of each period as well. Make sure you do that as well because they don't always come to the table to check in. Our rule of thumb is if it's two or less, it's the numbers coming in, numbers going out. And if it's three or more, it's an automatic reset. And we always do the other team first because you know who your players are and you'll be able to figure out who your five is much quicker if the ball's already back in play and then just use the down arrow and NLS if you're doing the manual clock to catch up to the game time. Yeah, that's really good advice, Kevin. Um, thank you for yeah, adding that. Great piece of uh, advice. I was also, I saw something else come through the chat. Uh, reminder, if you guys have any questions to add those in our Q&A and we'll get to those. Um, but Terry, I was going to ask you, remember we talked about this a little bit, but the jump ball situation. Um, this is more of an NLS specific question. And if you miss one, um, how you go about that and maybe how to not miss one. Uh, I know I've done that a time or yeah. two myself. So this, this is a unfortunate thing. Uh, you can't insert jump balls. Uh, you can't, you can't, it's, it's a moment, it's a moment, it's a, it's a, it's a moment thing. If you don't insert at that moment, it's, it's unfortunately not um, going to help you with, um, uh, so the good thing is that even if you do miss the jump ball, um, you can always change possession in NLS by just tapping on that arrow uh, next to the team name in the top. Um, that's the that's possession arrow. The, 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 the orange ball light comes on when that team has the ball. So technically, if you're ever in the wrong side of wrong possession uh, arrow or wrong uh, physical possession, you can adjust those on the screen and that will avoid flags. Unfortunately, you have to do it before um, uh, the, the issue comes up. Otherwise, you'll you'll be on the wrong side. Um, one thing I suggest is if you, if you miss the jump ball, I mean, if you, if you hear it, if you hear a jump ball uh, call, just put the jump ball immediately. Don't worry about what caused it. If you're not sure, because again, you can't enter them after the fact they're, they're, they're just um, uh, play by play line. So it, it doesn't really affect the game per se, but um, it is nice to have it in the play by play so people can refer to it. Um, so if you do miss it, um, you just, you know, you got to move on, adjust the possession at the top to make sure that the next time you push that jump ball, it doesn't affect it. Um, um, but if possible, just put that jump ball in every time um, when you hear it, um, even if you're not sure what caused it. You can always go back and insert a turnover or a tie-up or a block tie-up. Um, you can always insert those later, but you can't insert that jump ball, unfortunately. That's yeah, certainly a tough situation. Um, this is maybe a question for the group. I know we touched a little bit already on um, training some newer people and how we go about our stat crews, but could you guys all touch maybe specifically from a beginner standpoint, what you do to help train new staff, um, whether that's training games or any resources that NLS or some of the other staff platforms might have? Sure, I can go ahead and start. We have a call sheet that we use. We created it for all the sports, kind of took some of the NLS training games from David Petroff and figured out what worked best for our situation because how in order that one person might want it might differ from another person with some of the entry. And we start by going through that with all of our callers and then we watch old games and then we use David Petroff's training games as well. And you don't have to get the numbers right. We do this for all the sports on the training games. Just tell our callers to call everybody number one, number two, number three. 
So that way you at least get in the habit and then make sure they know that when it's game time, you actually have to be spot on with the numbers. But the NCAA manager has a lot of resources with some of the special plays without a stat those as well. Awesome. We have another question here from the Q&A. Um, very specific. They said during their tournament this past weekend, they had a situation where two players, one from each team, got a foul on each other at the same time. They put them in the regular way for fouls, but then got a flag for an invalid possession. And they were wondering if there was a, if what the correct way was to put that in. I, I believe in NLS, at least, um, you can uh, just use the double foul option. It should actually award the foul properly after the first foul entry. So if, uh, number four, foul number six, uh, if you put um, uh, four, foul six, and double, it'll actually automatically add six, foul four. Um, and technically at that point, that should technically be a jump ball as well. So <laughs> hopefully that, 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 part, that part happened as well. Um, Um, we still have some time for some more questions if anyone has those and wants to put them in the Q&A. Um, I was going to draw attention to Pete's comment here in the chat about the headsets. Um, Sarah, I know you were talking about your experience in Paris last weekend and kind of using those for some different games. If you want to give any tips on how to hear each other. <laughs> sure. Um, I would highly recommend headsets. Um, we started using them at Hartford because of COVID. And then it ended up being one of the best purchases that we ever had. Um, you can get some pretty decent sets for probably like $150. And um, it, it's just great if you're in a packed arena, even if you're not and you're sitting next to the visiting bench and you have the visiting coach right by you, you can actually hear each other. Um, one of our requests, so I was in London last year doing stats for um, the Hall of Fame tournament, and we were in O2 Arena with um, Kentucky and Michigan, and my I couldn't even hear my caller. It was so loud in there, and our one request for France was headsets, um, which unfortunately we didn't get, so my mom actually, like, sent me a message, like, who's, why is that guy whispering in your, or it looks like he's whispering in your ear the entire game. And I'm like, that's the only way I could hear him. It was so loud in there that he literally had to come within inches of me and, you know, tell me the stats. So anyway, headsets are a great, great investment. Even if you're not working in a packed gym, um, we found too, if you're a two person crew and someone has to go to the book during like a timeout to check a foul or something, um, they're also able to read off like subs as they're coming in during the timeout. So it kind of allows you that flexibility to move around if you have a smaller stat crew too. We repurpose our second audio kit for our headsets for basketball since we generally don't have as many games in the winter time. And we've also used Zoom before as well for students. If you're looking for some more budget-friendly or repurposing what you already have ways to get headsets. That's a great piece of advice, Kevin. Um, another question we have uh, more specifically about when to award an assist and when not to award an assist. Uh, the Q&A kind of says um, sometimes a shot that's just being passed around and then one player decides to shoot, but it wasn't necessarily someone finding someone with an open pass. So kind of being able to decipher um, the right way to give that. Terry, do you want to start us on that? Uh, so if I understand the question properly, let's say it's uh, they're basically just uh, you know passing around the you know around, around the three point line. Um, 
I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, if they pass around and someone just decides to shoot after that last pass, that's an assist. I mean, I, I, you know, I understand that it may not, it may have been that, that there wasn't an obvious, you know, they weren't, they didn't know that person was going to shoot the ball, but at the end of the day, if they do, if they hesitate though, if they, you know, if they're holding the ball there, um, you know, maybe pump faking, looking, um, thinking about, thinking about a pass, then no, I mean, but you know, otherwise if, if, if this is a direct pass and, and they end up just, pulling up or, you know, then giving the assist. Awesome. Um, we just got another question here. Um, we actually have one in the chat too. So I'll go to the Q and a first. Um, someone just says turnovers. Do you award it to the, to the person who forced the turnover or to the first person who gained possession? So I think that might be more, um, on someone grabbing the steal after a turnover. Rule of thumb is who's more responsible for it. If somebody comes up behind you and taps the ball away and then a teammate picks it up, it should be the person who tapped the ball away because at the end of the day, they're the one who actually caused that steal. And we have a point guard that does that all the time. So we're very, very cognizant about that one on our end here at Worcester. I'll kind of add on that too. a question maybe about um, rebounds similar. I think uh, on the men's side, I know we see a lot of uh, some post players, maybe that'll kind of tip the ball out um, from wh where, where a group of people is at. So how do you handle um, who gets the rebound there? Yeah, there is um, a control tip, I'd say. So it, it does happen more on the men's side, but if it looks like, if it seems like the, say the post player intentionally um, like, I don't want to say had control of the ball, but kind of had control of the ball and is able to tip it over to one of his or her teammates, then I think that first person, you know, should be credited with that rebound. It's more of a control tip. Um, if it's like a batted ball and then a player, you know, player A happens to get his or her hand on it and then player B is the one that comes away with it, I would credit that turn or that rebound to player B and not uh, player A. Absolutely. Uh, another question we have that maybe isn't as stat specific, but I think we have a good group here with uh, Terry and Sarah to answer this, but someone asked about um, how, how you got involved in uh, freelancing stats for professional teams without someone, something that someone might be interested in. I'll, I'll, I'll start on this one. I, 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 um, I was uh, attending the University of Southern California at the time, and uh, I happened to apply for a job working, doing IT work for the athletic department. Um, and I think the, I started in August of 2000, 2000 and uh, um, I think within the first week, uh, 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 Tim Tesla, who was the SID at, at USC at the time, uh, came over and asked me if I would uh, uh, be okay just coming to that first game, first football game of the season, just to help out with any IT issues that might come up. And um, I haven't missed a game since. So, um, And from there, uh, helping out with football, uh, he asked me then to help out with volleyball and basketball. And then he said, well, since you're here helping, why don't you learn how to score these these uh, these, these rules? Here are the rule books. Take a look at them and then just kind of shadow. And, and you know, eventually I started doing it myself and then, um, after after doing it for almost uh, almost like 16 or 17 years, I um, uh, started doing uh, doing it for the Rams and then uh, um, eventually the Lakers and Clippers. So it just uh, you have to start somewhere, and I happened to just fall into it because of a, uh, 
I got a job at that USC at that time. So, um, for me, it was just more. I think I don't want to say right place, right time, but just connections. So we have um, there's a company in Connecticut that um, mans most of the table crews for a lot of our colleges um, in Connecticut. So they're in charge of finding the shot clock operator, the scoreboard, the scorebook. Um, they fill all of those positions. And they were asked by the Connecticut Sun to do the same for those games and also provide a stat crew for them. So that's kind of how I got my foot in the door, um, just getting to know the table crew over my time at Hartford, developing good relationships with them and then being reliable. Um, they, you know, asked me if I wanted to be a part of, of the stat crew with the Connecticut Sun. And it's been really, really awesome, especially the timing of the season um, with it being during the summer makes it very manageable with you know, all of our busy schedules from August until, until May. So. That's great. Um, I have a couple more questions in our Q and a, uh, this is a specific one kind of with assists again. Um, what about post moves and assists? Can you ever have an assist if the player makes a post move with his back to the rim? So I think we see that a lot, especially in the men's game, but I think it, it can definitely come up in women's too. Um, I would say that if it's if it's quick, if, if they get in the post, turn and shoot, no problem with with that. Um, if if they if they try to dribble, uh, if they start moving away from the basket, um, it, I mean, some amount of creating space is okay, but you know it has to be a pretty quick in. That my my whole thing is immediate reaction toward the basket. Um, so if they if they if they're just standing there for a moment for a second or two, um, you kind of have to start thinking that you know you have to you know take the assist off. At least in my opinion. All right. I'm going to leave this one, I think, to all three of you um, would have some good advice. But someone said, just what would your general advice be for a first time basketball statter who's maybe scored another sport, but not basketball before? Kevin, do you want to get us started? Sure. I would say definitely do the training games, even if you're using Presto and not or stat crew instead of NLS. There's still value in the NLS training games that David Petroff has up. Don't wait until like the day of or the day before. If you still have a few days until your first game, get on it today, tomorrow. Really do a couple games so you have it under your belt. And don't panic would be number two. Keep up with the flow of the game. As Sarah said, best you can. Remember, you can always go back and fix things later if you need to. Just make sure you have seamless communication with your crew as well. Like maybe you need a little more guidance with locations if you're using NLS than maybe an experienced inputter. Just make sure your caller is aware of all that as well. Yeah, I would echo the importance of those training sessions and just understanding, I guess, the cadence of um, the game and the order of what everything needs to be inputted in. I think once you kind of get that down and ingrained in your head um it does make it a lot easier like when you're in an actual in-game situation so just understanding you know location first call of action player um and kind of drilling that into your head is is really really helpful too and i would just say obviously after after um as much as training and, and um and and it's about repetition. You know, the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you, you can't get any better until you 
go through the process and, and you're going to make mistakes and that's fine. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Um, the key is uh, to, to stay in the, stay in the moment, stay in the game. Um, keep up like, like everyone's just, just keep up with the game and try to, um, you know, make mental notes for later. You know, where, where did I, where did I stumble? And then practice that area, go back to a training video and look, Oh, you know, I, I have trouble with the putbacks. Um, you know, in NLS, um, there's, there's buttons on the screen, but you know what? Sometimes you push the wrong one. Um, sometimes you actually do a made shot instead of a missed shot. You know, it happens. It's, it's, it's okay. The good thing is it's all correctable. Um, stay in the moment, fix it later. Don't, don't, um, uh, don't stop the, the, the flow of the, of the, of the input um, because of that. The callers also have to be aware too. If you see your input is struggling, A, you should start writing down because you know that you're probably not getting in there um, or at least making notes of what needs to go back and, um, and, and help them too. You know, make sure that they oh, forget that shot. Um, go ahead and just put a turnover there um, and then let's get back on the right side or adjust the ball position. Um, it's, it's key for both people to, to, to kind of be aware. If, if you're an importer and you have a new caller, you know, help them out. You see them struggling a bit. You know, you know that was number five. You know, keep an extra set of eyes on the game as well. Um, it's a team effort. Um, if you have a third person, again, it's like, you know, that person can be helping, you know, just encouraging, spotting, you know, taking notes. Um, whenever you have someone new, always make sure you have a good support system around them because, you know, that's, that's what's going to make them feel confident the next time is that they have people that are going to help them. If you go into a situation where you feel like you're on an island by yourself and, and, and you're just, you know, completely uh, 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 failing in a, in a way, um, it's going to be hard for you to do it again the next time. So, you know, the, the key is you have a good system in place. Make sure that, the, that they know that it's all going to be fine and it helps them through that process. Because we want to keep as many. This is, this is unfortunately a, not a really big career path for a lot of people. Um, the quality of, of, of callers and players, you know, it, it varies over, over the different schools. Um, I'd love to have more people. And there's some great students that, that, that know the game, that love doing this. Um, they just need to have that, you know, that excitement about, you know, why uh, this boring part of the job is also exciting and fun, too. Uh, one more thing I want to make sure we have time to touch on today before we wrap up. Uh, if you guys will talk about lane violations and how to input the various types there. So if it's on the defense and the free throw is good, the lane violations ignored. If it's on the defense and the free throw viol and the free throw is missed, it's a replacement free throw. So you would just do that attempt over. And then if it's on the offense, it's a turnover on who committed the lane violation. So in stat crew and presto, you would just key in an offensive turnover on who had the lane violation. And then in NLS, you would click or tap put on hold and then select the spot in the lane, a turnover on the offensive team, and that's when you would see lane violation come up as one of the turnover types. Well said. You may, you may have a false flag on that if NLS didn't push through the update when you switch the free throws and take one attempt away. It may have a false flag for you. So if you see a flag there, don't panic. Uh, well said. Uh, another question, uh, someone who's a one-person stat crew asked for some clarification on how to input a blocked shot on who gets the rebound, how you input the actual shot, everything like that. Yeah, the person who, um, the player who attempted the shot would get credit for that shot. Um, there's no dead ball or, you know, the play wasn't stopped. So it's within the flow of the game. So that person does get credit for a shot. If there were a foul and not a block, 
um, a shooting foul, then the shooter does not get credit for the shot. It does not count as a shot attempt in that situation. Yeah, definitely keep an eye on the officials. Um, you know, uh, sometimes, especially on balls that go out of bounds, um, just look, they're going to make a, a, a motion like this to say that there was a, there was a block. Um, they also might make a motion like this to the ball's loose. Um, but if they say this and the ball goes out of bounds, um, sometimes you might not think that that person was attempting a shot. They're saying it was a block, it was a block tie up at that point. And you need to make sure you insert that, um, that shot and block and then the team rebound out of bounds. Um, uh, but uh, like Sarah was saying, there's, uh, if there's a foul call, again, listen, listen for the officials. The officials are blowing the whistle. Um, you know, I, I, sometimes it seems like, oh, maybe the foul happened after the shot. But, you know, did they signal two shots, you know, for, for a shooting foul? Did they, um, or did they say out of bounds? You know, those are, that, that might be the difference between giving someone a shot um, and not. Also, um, you know, if, if someone's driving um, and they're about to go up, and, and they get that ball above their waist, uh, but they don't go all the way up, and someone knocks it out, you know, that is a shot. I mean, you can give a, a shot block on those, especially on transition baskets. It happens a lot um, where someone, they don't quite get the ball, you know, all the way up. Um, you can give a shot because it was the, the idea is that there's an attempted shot that, at that point. Um, All right, we still have a little bit of time. So Kevin, I kind of want to ask you, um, once you're done inputting the game and the game's over, um, what your post-game process looks like, if you have to go back and pick any flags, anything like that. We usually always finalize the game, even if there are flags, as quickly as possible. So that way we can get the stat booklets printed out. Because the one thing the coach is going to want is the stats. They're not going to care if you have a couple sub-issues to work out. And then we print the stats you're going to need to print a lot of stats, rule of thumb, one stat copy for every coach on the bench because they're all going to want one. And then make sure you take care of your media members that are there as well. And then we go back and fix the flags. If we have a bunch of issues, we'll send a game book off to the other school and say this is a preliminary file, just a heads up. We have a couple flags we have to work through. We'll send the file when we get it resolved. And if we have no issues, then our practice is we download the packed file, the XML, and the PDF from the NSCM, name them for our conference naming conventions, because per conference policy, the conference needs a file that says WUM, MMDD, where the two Ms are the month and the two Ds are the date, and then WUW on the women's side. So those are the files we send out to the other school when everything's good. I think just communication is important too. So like Kevin said, getting that preliminary game book printed, getting it out to the other SID is really, really important. Um, and if there are flags, if there are issues that you need to work through, just letting everyone know, like sending an email saying, hey, this isn't the final book, but um, we have a few things we need to clean up. We'll get that to you within the next 45 minutes or so. Um, I know I've run in, it's been frustrating before where, you know, I've been in situations where you're just waiting, waiting, waiting for the game file and you don't know what's going on, but we're all human. We all make mistakes. I think just making sure we're staying in communication with each other is always helpful and it leads to less aggravation and frustration on everyone's end. 
Absolutely. Uh, before we wrap up, do either uh, or do any of the three of you guys have any uh, last things to add for everyone here today? get to know the officials especially if you're at a smaller school it's different if you're at like a power five but if you're at a smaller school you're probably going to get just about every single one of them three to five times somewhere in that range over the course of your season and they do it for multiple years so that way if there's an issue you would build up some of that rapport with them to be able to ask them a question hey what did you call here what did you call there was that a flagrant one or a flagrant two things of that nature as well That's, that's absolutely great advice because that's literally um, one of the reasons why I feel comfortable because I've, I've, I've been at SC for almost 24, 24 years now, and I've seen every single back to all official, I think, um, um, that can come to the school. Obviously, there's some that aren't allowed to, to officiate there, but um, and I, I, I've known them all for years. Um, uh, but it, obviously, it, 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 it makes it much easier, but also the SIDs as well. Um, you know, most times you, you're encountering the same people every year after year, and it's so much more helpful if you get to know them as well because they're going to give you the information that you need. They're going to help you with starters. They're going to help you with um, uh, with scratches for the game day. Um, they're going to help you with, um, you know, spots. They're going to be spot free, and, and they're going to be nice about it too. That's the best part. You know, I've, I've had times where SIDs get a little bit uh, upset if you don't score something the right way. That's that's, that's usually back when the stat crew days. Uh, technology has advanced so much we can look at replays now, so we we don't make as many mistakes as before. But um, uh, it's 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 definitely helpful to, to get to know everybody. Um, I'm fortunate to work with a crew that you know we've pretty much all been the same crew for a very long time. So um, it's so much more comfortable to, to ask for help, and and everyone's just forthcoming with help in the first place. So if you can have a, a build a good team of, of a scorers table. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be set and everyone's going to enjoy it. It's going to be a good, good product at the end of the day for everyone to, um, to take home. So. Yeah. Um, to reiterate, I mean, Terry and Kevin both said it perfectly, but just communicating, getting to know everyone around you, like you're all there for the same reason in part. So just working with each other, um, and just staying calm. So, you know, if there is an issue, if you get backed up, just take a deep breath and, resume the play that, you know, watch what's going on in front of you at the time. Um, and don't panic. I know it's easier said than done, but um, that would be my advice. <laughs> Another great tidbit here in the chat, I was going to point out um, to make sure to check fouls and points at halftime with and final with the postgame book. I know we, um, we personally catch a lot of things that way and helps keep you on track too with, um, for us, we put our stats up in the arena. So our coaches look at that almost more than they actually look at their printouts sometimes. So helps us keep that on track. Um, but I think we are approaching our hour here. So I wanted to thank everyone um, for joining us today. A big thank you to our three presenters for the discussion and insights on working with basketball stats and stat rules and difficult scoring decisions that we all face. Uh, we appreciate all of your guys' questions that you guys submitted as well. Again, the webinar will be on demand later today, so share that information with any of your colleagues or other scorers. Uh, we encourage you to check out our website, collegesportscommunicators.com, for updated information on what's on tap for CSC programming and continue, continuing education. Uh, more webinars are to come later this month and in December, so stay tuned for those dates and topics to be announced. You all should also see a pop-up survey at the end here, if you could please uh, fill that out as well for us. Uh, and I wanted to thank everyone else um, for being with us today once again, and we hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day.